Hi there. Welcome to season two of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship coach, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. To learn more about my coaching services, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. We are currently seeking funding through a foundation or advertising. In the meantime, this podcast is funded through a combination of community support and my own personal contributions. If you would like to contribute to the podcast so we can continue to bring episodes to you and people around the world, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash but seriously the cancer podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. Today's guest is Laya Ballesteros. Laya is an elementary school art teacher who is passionate about working with our youngest artists. She herself is a mixed media artist. Laya has been cancer free three years. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Laya, finishing the conversation we started last week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy. Um, it, went, it went well, I guess. I mean, obviously. How was your surgery? You know, how, so how did your surgery okay. go? Though? Yeah, really? yeah, that's right. yeah, I was going to say, it went fine. So they, told, they rolled me back. And at this time, my breast surgeon was with me and she rolled me back. She met me in my room. And I don't know if that's a common practice, but Dr. Mancuso, being her badass self, was there with me, with the person who was rolling me back, and she rolled me back. The person was next to her, and we were talking, and you know, I had, again, I had never been and had any kind of major surgery, so we went back through these big doors. There's nothing back there but bright lights, and it was cold. Like, I remember, and it seemed like we were going down the longest hallways white hallways, bright, like medical, I don't know. And I would see every now and then, every so many feet, there would be an operating room. And I would look. Like the double doors you go through and the bright lights, like the mood changes. Yeah, you're like, nobody's silent back there. (laughs) And I would see the double doors and I'd see doctors, you know, hospital staff, nurses, and all. they're all like operating somebody, but I can't see because, you know, it's just a little window. So I, w- I remember talking to Dr. Mancuso and I said to her, and I was just like, how do you do this? She was like, do what? I was like, how do you, like what you do for a living, like your job boggles my mind. Like I admire it. I was like, I go to work and I paint all day with little kids. Like we look at textures and shapes. Like I teach like fundamental things, you know, and you come to work and you're going to operate and remove somebody's breasts. What is that like? Like here I am in this other mode. Like, what is that like? How is that? How do you get through that? That's your every day. I can't imagine that, you know? And she goes, well, to be honest, it's not my every day. I don't do bilateral mastectomies <laughs> every day, um, but it is a part of my life. And I've been doing it for a while. And, you know, I don't, qu- don't quite remember the conversation, but I remember asking her that question. And I remember it seemed like we were going down that hallway forever. I swear there were so many turns. It was I was at Northwell Health or North Shore. What is North Shore now? What North Shore Hospital? And I said to her, I th- "Okay, I think I'm starting to get nervous. I could feel myself like caving in. Hmm. I, you know, yeah. instead of being like out there and br- are you bright and like unicorny, right? <laughs> she had it. She had a unicorn <laughs> horn on too, and she was like, "I'm going to try to sneak this into the OR." <laughs> so she said, to her, "What a sweetheart! Oh my goodness!" Because by this time, I had one of those big blue bonnets on, and I had ripped a hole through it and put my unicorn horn through it, and they were like, "Oh no, 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 no! You can't do that!" I was like, "Ah, come on!" 
right? Because right before we got to our room, there was a little, there was a rep, there was somebody there in like a little cubby or office where I had to give all my stuff to. So that after the surgery, I I was like, I didn't even know that part. And so like the lady said to the doctor, to Dr. Ankisa said, okay, you need to give me your, you need to give me that <laughs> pointing to the unicorn horn she was like i wish i could let you wear it but you know it's not she's going into the or germ free right yeah so we walk this is one moment i will never again never forget i didn't have my glasses on so i couldn't see really but i i'm kind of happy that i didn't have my glasses on but i just remember those big double doors opening and there was so much metal so many tv screens Everybody in that room stopped what they were doing and looked at me. And it was mm. cold. I just remember just cold. I don't what's the cold all about? Sterile. I don't know. It was so fucking I mean, cold. Every operating room I've been in is cold. I don't CT scans are cold. Everything's I don't cold. know. I think it just represents clean. I don't know. <laughs> sterile. <laughs> I don't know. But all I know is I just saw trays and trays of tools and i'm thinking this cannot be all for me like that's when i started really getting nervous i like the when the doors opened mm. there just happened to be at the time just this really big guy he was this tall stature he was big and he was like six five and i i, I couldn't see his face i couldn't see the details because i had my glasses on but i just remember him just stopping in his tracks you know and, and to me in my head i was thinking i wonder if he's thinking is this the girl that has cancer? Like, does he know anything about the patient coming in? You know? And so I was mm, thinking yeah. at, at the time, I would, would, would you know, I would have loved to know what was going through his head and why he stopped in his tracks. I wasn't, I wasn't offended. You know, everybody stopped. You know, everybody stopped to look to see who was coming in the door, right? That's our kind of normal reaction. And I don't know, that's what went through my mind, but... I got up there and she wheeled me up to the the table and was like, all right, can you think you can get on the table yourself? And I did. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Like, I was so cheery. And I don't know if that was my way of dealing with the nervousness because I was nervous. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, this is about to happen. I was like, oh, my God, this is about to happen. I'm about to go under for eight hours. And I think it kind of hit me on that table when they were putting, putting those foam, like they, they put you out like, you know, on a, you know, like a T, right. Mm-hmm. And like, um, they're putting these foam things under my arm, adjusting to make my neck, make sure I was, cause that bed is not very wide. That first, no, it's interesting. Me, that, yeah, it's it was like metal. Big. I don't know. It was really weird. And, um, they're like, don't fall off the table. Cause I almost, I jumped up on the table really. Cause again, like I said, I'm like a <laughs> child. Like I, when I turn my lights off in my bedroom, I jump to the bed from the door to the bed. I just like run and jump in mm-hmm. case the monsters get me underneath the bed. Like, I don't know why I do uh-huh. that, <laughs> but I do. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was, I think it hit me right there. And I saw Dr. Light pop in and he's standing right there with Dr. Mancuso. And I got a little snappy with the anesthesiologist. They have not been my favorite people working like through my experience and stuff. And, and from, you know, from those minimal surgeries I did, but I've never had a great experience. I never found them to be friendly. And, hmm. and, and so the guy, I met him before the surgery in that, in that intake room. And I was like, are you nice? 
And he was like, why do you say that? And I said, because every time I work with the anesthesiologist, they're not very nice to me. Are you going to be nice? Like, I was like, like, I was already taking control. I'm like, are you a nice person? (laughs) He was like, well, I'm here to do my job. Yes, I'm nice. I will be as nice as I can. I was like, okay, good. Because (laughs) I don't like mean people. (laughs) And so he's back there, you know, they're back there waiting for you and I see him working on his machine and he's hooking things up to me. And I say, um, I don't think it's working yet. And he's like, he says, I haven't done anything. I was like, oh, okay. Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> Do not cut into me until you're clear I am and out. Because, okay? you know, being me my, myself and just, just my personality. And I was just like, I hope you, you know, it's Cinco de Mayo which is also my sister's birthday, right? I have three sisters, which I have yet to mention yet in my story, but they were there. They weren't at the hospital and that was my choosing. If they wanted, they can come if they come. But my sister's like, I don't, you know, they know me. My sister's like, if it's too overwhelming for you because you already have six people there. Like Mm -hmm. the night before my surgery, my girlfriend's driving up from Maryland. I said, I don't want you to be there. And I said, they're like, it doesn't matter. If you don't want us there, that's fine. We can sit and wait for you in the hotel room till you're done. I was like, okay. And so. That's a wonderful relationship. Yeah. And so they came and I, I said, you can come. I feel happy. I want you guys to be there. I just wasn't like, it was getting so suffocating. Everyone's saying, can I come? Can I come? Like, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. You know, Dr. Mancuso was like, I said, I said to the anesthesiologist, I said, I hope you have tequila in that IV right? I made a joke to him. And that's how the conversation started with me falling asleep. I said, Dr. Mancuso had asked me, and I always wonder if they remember these conversations because I remember them clearly, but they have so many patients, so they might not. Um, But I said, she said, what's your drink of choice? Like, what do you like? If you, when you go out to drink, what do you drink? I said, I drink whiskey. She said, oh, you like whiskey? I said, yes. She said, what's your favorite whiskey? I said, my favorite whiskey is a Japanese whiskey. It's called Hibiki, which they have a couple different ones. I was like, but 17 years. That's the perfect whiskey out there. Oh, really? Yes. It is unbelievable. And and, and Dr. Light's like, you know, I got to try that one. I was like, yeah, you got to try that one. And then I was like, oh, Mm. I feel it. Something's happening. I feel very heavy, right? I was just like screaming it out. (laughs) (laughs) And and then they're like, oh, what do you do? Oh, you're our teacher, blah, blah, blah. Done. So I remember that conversation. You remember your conversation you had before you went out? With, yeah, the anesthesiologist was asking me all these questions. And I'm answering him. And then I'm mid-sentence and he just walks away. And I was like, Wow, that's like, what I'm telling you, dude. Like, get some manners. Well, I got, it was like a couple of years later. I start, you know, it, it hit me. It's like, oh, they don't care about our lives. They're asking these questions until our speaking starts going. <laughs> okay, it's working. I can go now. And I actually told my doc like five years after my. Uh, surgery he had to remove a hepatic artery pump there's this hockey puck size pump that provided me a secondary form of a chemotherapy and that would go into my liver wow through the hepatic artery yeah pretty phenomenal device and five years later he you know was you know meeting with me to remove it and i mentioned this to him i said this is not a big deal but just thought you might mention it to your anesthesiologist like you know how they talk to us until we fade out and then they 
they go off and do their thing. He's like, yeah. I go, I still remember him walking away and I remember being insulted. Yeah. And like waking up from surgery and like when I finally came to and I was like, man, that anesthesiologist, man, why was he so rude? I go, I know y'all have like way bigger things to deal with, but just if it interests you, it'd be great if they knew that we can see them walking away and if they could say, okay, like, I'm gonna, I, pardon me one moment, I need to step away. I'll be right back. Like something like that. And then they walk away and we pass out. The other thing I said to my surgeon, I said, and I remember after he walked away, I looked over and I said, who might you be? And you were sitting there reading the paper with your shield on. And he's like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> I'm like, did I hallucinate that? He goes, it sounds like you did because I don't read the paper before my surgery. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so Yeah, so yeah. You woke I woke up? up in the recovery wherever the recovery room to I remember my boyfriend calling my name out and holding like my hand. I think that's what was happening. I remember coming to and feeling like there was a building on top of my chest and my mm. upper body. I was like, "Get me out from under this building." Like it it really felt like there was all this weight Oof. on me. Because they literally just carved me like a turkey, right? Like it took, the surgery was eight and a half hours. I rolled out, they rolled me back to the OR at about, um, it was around, probably around 6.30, almost seven. I was under like, they had, I could be wrong in the time, but they had started the surgery by like 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. They rolled me out at about 7.30 p.m. You know, because Dr. Light said he had let me sleep. He let me sleep a little bit. I don't know what that means after my surgery. <laughs> but he's like, I let you sleep. I let her sleep a little bit for like an hour back there while they were like cleaning up before they rolled me out. I let you sleep. <laughs> but I was still, I, I was still <laughs> dead asleep. You know, no more anesthesia, but I was dead asleep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, well, I guess he was finishing up paper. I don't know. Whatever they, they were doing, whatever they do back in the <laughs> OR. I don't know. But. <laughs> but I woke up, I remember him on my right, and I remember my ex on my left, and I remember him saying my name, and I, there was a part of me that just wanted to be like, shut up, right? Because I was in so much pain, like, mm. I just remember the physical pain, and they were just, they were like, lie, he was like, lie, 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 wake up, and I remember exactly what I said. It's so funny. I said, I wanted chicken and waffles. I asked for food, right? Because you're not, I hadn't nice. eaten for so long. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. chicken and waffles. And then I heard him bust out <laughs> laughing. I heard Dr. Light bust out laughing. And that's when my ex was like, she's okay. She's asking for food. So she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, all right, I'll come back and check. And so, yeah, so I was in the recovery room and they let my friends come in like one by one, Bernard, uh, my ex and another person in, you know, all the time. Mm. Um, but then my nurse was a Filipino woman, which I thought was like, I don't, I, I don't believe things don't, you know, I now believe things happen for a reason. And I run people's mm-hmm. lives cross for a reason. And the fact that I had this Filipino nurse, which is not surprising because yes, it is, honestly, it, it is, there are a lot, it's a stereotype in Filipino culture that the women go into nursing. I can't tell you how many of my girlfriends are nurses, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had this Filipino nurse, surprise, surprise. She was, I was like, oh gosh. And you know, I automatically, 
felt a certain way. You know, I was like, either this is going to be a really great experience for me or it's not going to be. Hmm. It ended up being a really great experience. She was so wonderful. She did not delve into my personal life or judge me. There's this thing, there's this really great article that came out that, uh, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was someone from, I know, either from the West Coast, a Filipino researcher, young woman, talking about um, just culturally, you know, how invasive, you know, there's no, there's no boundaries. You know, you're hmm. Filipino, I'm Filipino. Oh, so... Tell me about yourself. And they start making all these judgments, right? And I thought, oh, gosh, she's going to be like, are you married? Are you not married? Why aren't you married? Yeah, how old are you? Blah, blah, blah. There's all these things mm-hmm. are going to happen. I'm going to be like, bitch, shut the fuck up, right? I was going to get upset. And I was like, oh, this is a sign. I was like, okay, well, this woman took amazing care of me. I oh. looked at it like, okay, this woman is here. You know, my Filipino mother right? I needed somebody to take care of me and something familiar was happening. Yeah. She asked me a little bit about my family. Oh, you know, you're Filipino. Cause I asked, usually someone asked me first, but I asked her first. I said, are you Filipina? And she said, yes. Are you? Yes. Oh, where are you? You know, where are you from? Where you're in New York or what do you, you know, just talk, nice talk, but always kept it professional. And I appreciated Hmm. that because I was terrified it was going to go the wrong way, you know? But nope, she was phenomenal. Oh, I thank her so much. I think her name was Cynthia. And my one of my girlfriends took pictures of me while I was in the recovery room. And I'm like, mm. and she got in trouble. You're not supposed to do that. But she was like, take it. But you should, the picture, I mean, I looked high as a kite. Like I was in another world. But yeah. I finally made it into, thank God, a room. By the next morning, they wheeled me into another room. I had the drains. So when you do these surgery, this deep flap surgery, I had these things called JP drains. Um, JP is an acronym for the company that makes it, I think. Um, okay. And there are these drains that drain out the fluid that your body produces from all your, like, wounds I, I i don't know the exact um you know because you're going to be producing blood there's stuff needs to flush right mm-hmm. and so there are these tubes that just come out of your body I had three on each side and the fluid needs to be measured are you looking it up <laughs> i'm looking at my phone yeah i had a jp drain after my for my first surgery and then when i had to have my second surgery with my recurrence I was one of the doctors I saw was talking about the JP drain that they would have, you know, when I wake up. And then when I asked the doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering, he said, no, you won't have one of those. I'm like, why not? The other doctor said I would. He said, yeah, we've learned techniques that uh, keep us from having to give those to patients. Now, I'm not saying with your surgery. Yeah, I mean, it's a difference, yeah. Possibly. But it was interesting to me, like, you know, that's, uh, I remember when they removed it. It was so painful. Such a weird feeling. Weird is an understatement. It was incredibly painful. And I looked at the, uh, you know, there were, this was a a medical school, you know, there were students, uh, you know, being trained. And the guy who pulled it out, I looked at him and I said, you don't have any friends, do you? (laughs) I don't like you. He said, no. (laughs) And then I said to my surgeon, I said, no, I have a question. 
a couple days before that you had the epidural removed. How come you didn't wait and have the epidural removed after you took out the uh, the drain? And he's like, huh, yeah, we should have done that. That's a good idea. And I love my surgeon, so I was like, okay with it. But I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm glad I brought you know something to the table, <laughs> you know, to encourage you all to do this before the epidural is removed, so I wouldn't have to feel it. So, but yeah. So anyway, so you had, had three this. on each side. Oh, for real? Yeah, incredible. They're the worst part of the surgery. They say once you get those drains out, you're gonna feel like a new woman, and they were absolutely mm. right. So. I got mm. three drains out the first week I went back post-surgery. And then I had to wait another week to get the last three out. But I slept sitting straight up Ooh. for, God, two weeks. I could not lay down. I couldn't, oh. I couldn't stretch my body. Because remember, they, they took your, basically tucked it together, right? Because they took a part of your yeah. stomach. And they have a new reconstructed belly button. Like, that's not the belly button I was born with. I'm like, huh, hmm. what happened to my belly ring scar? It's gone. And it's not there anymore because they made a new one. They used that, yeah, whatever magic they do in the OR, it's gone. Yeah, those drains, they have to be, they, the recovery of my girlfriend, she took care of me and my ex, and they measured, you have to dr drain it and measure it. You have to strip the drains, as they're called, because the tube is stretchy. So you have to strip all the liquid out, and then you have to measure it mm. twice a day to see. That's how what determines if you when you get them out. The measurement has to below a certain number of like cc's or whatever they're you know. And if it was under twenty, then I could get it out. Give me the heebie-jeebies. I know. I, I can like, see. Oh, it. Let me gosh. tell you, I those things. Imagine trying to shower like. So I would literally had to give up all control. And that's why I was trying to be in control mm. of like the situation. Like my friends had to shower, had to, at this time I had very long hair. Well, actually, no, I had hair to my waist and I cut it to my shoulders. That's what mm. I did before my surgery. And so they had to shampoo my hair. They had to, you have to be careful with the drains. So you have to, cause I had to wear a, a drain belt and they had to put the drains on a, like a necklace thing because they can't just oh hang it. I could, yeah, it was not that recovery. I didn't like process. one thing hanging out from my insides, you know, stitched to your insides and hanging out of your body. You know, it's going into the cavity. And you had six of I them. I had six of them. I am not. Oh, Any movement of gosh. those drains hurt so bad. So that's why they I have won't. got to forward that technology and develop something else. They need to talk to my surgeon. <laughs> Remove, yeah. do something differently oh man yeah how long did you have to keep the drains two weeks in you so two weeks two so weeks. i went home i got to the hospital friday for my surgery i was discharged on monday like i literally was there for a weekend can you believe that it's crazy all that surgery and i was there for the weekend wow you know, and it's like, oh, I think it'd be longer. You think it'd be longer? Like, what are you doing? What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went and had breast surgery and removed <laughs> my breasts. Like, in a weekend? Like that happened? That's a real thing. <laughs> so yeah, I got home and that that was a Monday. That Friday, I got three drains out. Oh, it was amazing. The most painful one, mm. though, did not come mm. out. And that was the one. Because, you know, some, I call, I had like, I didn't identify them, but I was like, 
they kind of had its own like Dre numbered. They were numbered one through six. Right. And mm-hmm. every single one of them felt different. No matter, mm. you know, like where it came out from the body, you know, I had one, the side of the breast, one like kind of underneath the breast and one at my hip bone, two at my hip bone. So one on each side, oh. they were parallel kind of, you know, and Ooh. yeah. And so the one on my right hip bone, because my right, I had, I, I like trying to understand it, like my dominant side, right? My right hip bone just, it hurts so bad. Because I think that's, you know, I put all the pressure on my right side. It's my dominant side. And I think that's why I was irritated more, I think. And so it, mm-hmm. it was used more. You, you don't realize how, one thing I realized is you don't realize how much you use your core until you can't use it. Like, you know, like. Ah, uh, yeah. Trying to get, go to the bathroom, getting up and down. Somebody had to help me. Like I couldn't do it myself so yeah i had those six strains and then the week after i got the other three removed and that was oh god celebrated celebrated my my best friend took me i remember we went across the street there was this awesome italian place my doctor's office was in um what is called it'll come to me when it comes to me the neighborhood but Mm -hmm. across the street was an italian place that had been there since the 1930s and like, I'm a foodie, so I like real food. And so we went there and we had the, their meatball subs and their, pe- uh, you had the pe- no, we just always had the meatball sub. We dream about the meatball sub mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Remember when I went, you went to chemo and we go get the meatball sub? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing to just, I felt like I could do a cartwheel if I could when those drains came out. I was so overjoyed. I bet. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so may I ask you mm-hmm. about the, uh, I was going to say breast implants, but they weren't no, breast, breast yeah. implants. They were the, re, the double, the deep flap reconstruction. Yes. D-I-E-P. What was the, because re- I would imagine there are women who are listening to this, wondering what that recovery process was like for where they took the tissue as well as where they implanted it or uh. replaced it. One thing I love and appreciate most about my doctors is that they were right <laughs> every time. Dr. Light mm. said to me, at about week eight, you're going to start feeling like kind of normal again. And I was like, okay. And it was exactly at week eight. I was like, God, how far are we out? When I stopped, I was like, wow, I kind of feel mm. good. Like I could walk to the coffee shop feeling like a normal person, not like, you know, like holding my hips, you know, myself up with my cane and like, holding my abdomen tight. Like I I was like, I was walking there and felt like, Oh shit. I just had a bilateral mastectomy. Like I forgot for like a hot second, you know? And that was like, that's when I knew I started feeling like a normal person. Um, and that was about week eight. So he was exactly right. Two months out. And was that both the abdomen and the breasts? Um, Yes. The worst part was the abdomen part, I think. I felt more in my abdomen because I need you need your core to move, right? And when you're trying to mm-hmm. move and you're trying to walk and you're trying to be functional and use the bathroom and eat, there's not a part of your day that goes by where you don't use your core. Right. And so that to me just stood so much more than, than my breast. Yes, my breast hurts, but... I wasn't really using them to do anything <laughs> as far as like mm-hmm. musculature wise, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
Yeah. Did they move muscle from the abdomen to the breast area? No, they, I don't think it was muscle. It was just tissue. I felt like when, during that surgery, I'm thinking like first week, second week when I just got out of it, I couldn't stand straight up. My okay. back was in so much pain because I couldn't stand vertical for a very long time. It felt so tight because remember, if they're taking tissue from your stomach, what's left is they're pulling it together, right? It's kind of essentially so a tummy tuck. Kind they of. took skin? Yeah, they took skin. So I thought it was internal tissue to give the breast size, but they took skin. Yeah, they took skin. That is what, if you can describe mm. it, like if I can describe it you know, to anybody who's listening, because I don't have a nipple, right? There was no skin there. So what essentially what look my breast look like right now is there are two ovals, that would have, would have been my areola. And so it kind of looks like a patch, if you could say easily, because okay. the skin tone is a little bit different. Um, but it's very, very close. But also, you know, I see details like that because it's, you know, my body. I, and so right. they took, yeah, they used that skin from, the, from everything. They, they literally just imagine, just imagine. Can you imagine now what, what they did? Like they took the skin too. But that is what makes up me that that's how they re- part of the reconstruction and okay so in your being easy on your abdomen you didn't straighten your back and it caused back pain oh my gosh yeah and i think that could explain some of my back pain today honestly because that i mean this is afterwards this, we're talking after but we won't go there but like yeah i have back pain today and I, I don't know if it's it's from a lot of things you know like medication and stuff but it's also i think you know, like I could use some physical therapy on my back to stretch it out, <laughs> Yeah. you know, like, cause that was, that was a lot, that was, you know, hard on your body. And the Dr. Light said, he said, you know, first you're going to feel like you got hit by a six, you know, what is that? A six, 18 wheeler. Is that what they call those mm-hmm. big rig trucks? An yeah. 18 wheel. He's like first for the first week, you're going to feel like you got hit by, by an 18 wheeler. Right. And then say about, you know, the second week, you're going to feel like you got hit by like one of those, you know, what's, what's down one size from there. One of those big cube vans. Yes, right? <laughs> like a big old like dump truck, uh, something, something big. Right. And yeah, then yeah, from yeah. there, you're going to feel like until you get down to you got hit by a car. Like that's how far oh, out you were. Gosh. And it what really, a rating system. That <laughs> that's exactly like they were real, as real as they could get. And so like he, when the, he described it that way, I was like, okay, you're right. You're right. It does because I described it as it felt like when I woke up from surgery, like, I felt like I was underneath a building that had collapsed on top of me. Mm. Right. And he was like, wow. You know, and then I was telling my friend that. And, and then I described it as once that abdomen pain was kind of gone and I had this new like foreign um, breasts, new reconstructed breasts, it felt like this is so vivid for me because this is my experience. And like, do you know those sponges they're like this thick like the teachers used to use them and to wash the classroom boards you know the chalkboards and they used to oh, yeah, wash the, the big board. thick block yellow sponges. yes sponges three it, four inches thick yeah to me when my abdomen was healed i describe it to my friend and every time i see those sponges i think about that i described it to my friend it said it felt like those very thick sponges 
were like a hundred pounds and they were sitting like pushing mm. on top of my chest. I was like, mm. I, it, they feel like sponges inside of me. Like that's how I described them. She was like, can you make a painting? <laughs> I was just like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's, and to this day, it, it, they don't feel like that, but I can feel it there. Like my body knows that there is something there that's not normally there, that's different. And I asked Dr. Light, I said, Dr. Light, I said, I always have this feeling in my breasts, like not a feeling like, oh, there are my breasts. That's what they normally feel like. But I can feel that there is something there, like there's a weight there. A, a, a word I can't, a, a numbness, a, um, I was like, I can't pinpoint it. I don't know how to describe it, but there's a feeling there. I was like, is that feeling going to go away? And he said, no, you're always going mm. to feel that. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. He's like, that's normal. Like, like, it's just, I don't know what it is, but I can always, like, I'm sitting here talking to you and I can feel them. You know how, like, you can't feel that your arm is there unless you're thinking about it? Yeah. I can always feel that they're there, even when I'm not you thinking about it. Always feel your breasts. There's a pressure there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's not a pressure because it doesn't hurt, but there's a feeling there. Huh. But it's only, like, a, a rep, like, this, I don't know, like, on top and on the bottom. I'm just, you know, pointing it out to you, but it's, like, around, like, the shape of it. It's just always this feeling. And where I don't have the sensation, the closer and closer you get to the centers is where you cannot feel. Okay. So, like, I can kind of have, you know, I'm describing, like, the end process, but, like, where I feel I'm three years out now, um, almost three years. Cinco de Mayo, remember, Cinco de Mayo. Mm, That's going to be my three-year anniversary of my my bilateral mastectomy. So three years out, I can still feel them, but I have some sensation, like under my breasts is where I have the most feeling. Um, like okay. bottom, right? Um, top, right. not really. And I can't feel like where my nipples would have been, like my areolas. There, there's absolutely no feeling there whatsoever. Um, but I will say I have had, I have gradually gained more feeling, right? The idea behind the deep flap surgery is that there's more blood flow. That's why when they do take from the tissue, they give you some kind of, I forgot what test I did. I had to go into some machine. I had to do a CT scan of like my, um, my abdominal area to see if all my like blood vessels and stuff were good to be cut from or whatever reconnected and blah, blah law that I don't understand, but those blood vessels were reconnected to blood vessels in my breast. So there would be more blood flow. So how long does it take for the blood vessels to heal fully? Well, to, to grow into the new tissue and to have it be as quote, you know, normal as it is going to be. I would imagine it could take, you know, I mean, nerves can take a very long time. Oh, yeah. I know that blood vessels take. when they, I mean, it's, I would assume it's already flowing once they join it, right? But when, it, when are those fully healed, you mean? Like in my tissue? I was just curious if blood vessels are going to grow into the Ooh, I don't know. conjoined tissue. 
I'm assuming. I don't know how it works. Hmm? That's not my expertise. <laughs> yep. No, just, yeah, you know, just curiosity question. Yeah, I mean, it's a mind. great question because I feel like I should know this because um, I, you know, read up about it. But like, I have gained more feeling as time has gone on. And how, okay, so how long has the increase in feeling, is it still happening? I, yeah, I would absolutely say so. Um, okay. Because there are times like, so something that I've experienced after surgery is that I would feel these like sharp pains in my breasts. And I, I, when I, and obviously I call the doctor right away. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, my cancer's back. Um, things like that. But Dr. Mancuso told me, and she's just like, that is, that is not surprising. That is your, hmm. like your nerves, like regenerating or something, something's happening over there, working and healing and flowing. And that's actually like when I think a good thing. So I still feel that every now and then. We may have other measurements. I say that with like, I'm saying that with like my partner, like we like, I mean, it's because of him that I have discovered like, oh, I have more feeling. Like, Hmm. (laughs) um, I just felt that because there were times, you know, that I would not feel because I would make him like touch me there, like feel this, do this. And and I'm like, nope, I don't feel it. Nope, nope. Oh, I feel it now. Like I myself are curious about someone, what, you know, someone would do it to me, not just myself, right? Right. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's how another way I've kind of noticed how I've gained more sensation. It's so interesting that it just keeps, it continues. And so after your surgery, Mm -hmm. did you do chemotherapy after that? I did, I did chemo. I did six rounds of chemo. A lot happened between like the chemo. So I, my diagnosis didn't require me to have radiation. Mm, Wonderful. Um, yeah. So I was actually scheduled for four, only four rounds of chemo. And I don't like to say only because chemo is chemo, right? Some people do like 16, 25. It's, I, couldn't even that idea of doing that many rounds as a cancer survivor boggles my mind because when I got to round five I think was when I got to the point where I was like I can't do this anymore like I was like this really I don't like the way it makes my body feel like well I will tell you I did 12 uh each time and uh, it's the thing with the more you do, the worse it feels. The cumulative effect, it gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And beginning, you know, it, you'd have four days of side effects mm-hmm. and then five and then six. And eventually toward the end, it's just the full two weeks. And oh, my God. And it's that's... amazing what you can uh, what you can go through, what you can just put yourself through, what you can tolerate, you know, uh you just you said you know you got to a certain point where you're just like I can't do anymore. Yeah, and I felt like that at times, and I just, I just, I, I gave myself over to it. That's how I did twelve rounds. It's like there's there's no resisting it. There's just like you know there's it's like kind of like walking a tightrope where I don't want to. You know, I'm not quitting, 
but I'm not going to try to force my way through it and, and, and tolerate it. It's just a giving myself over to it, to it and allow it to go as it's going to go and get the care that I need. But it was, it yeah, was a like dif- trust, different, different relationship. Trust the process was like such a phrase I kept saying to myself mm. when every time I had like really bad side effects and, and nausea and like the mouth sores. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know. You know, everybody it's, I think it's also fascinating that n- there's no one similar case. The doctors could never say, I'd say, is that normal? Is that typical? Or like, they're like, well, okay. So there are some typical side effects like nausea, right? right? Mouth sores, dehydration, you know, very, you know, but then there, they can never, there's no two cases alike as far as like how bodies kind of react to it. And so I know I got my first round of chemo and they had to give me four pre-meds before, you know, you, they give you the pre-meds, like they give you Benadryl through an IV. They give you all these like anti-nausea drugs, all like two different anti-nausea drugs. They give me the, the Benadryl. They, they gave me four different things before the chemo even started. Right. I remember the, it took eight hours cause I was getting like two different chemos. I was getting, I was doing TC, which is taxotere and cytoxin. And those were like, I remember one of them being like, they had to put it in slowly because it like burns when I just, and I, mm. I, and because I was only doing at this time four rounds, my doctor didn't give me a port. So everything was going okay. through my arms, right? And that's another, my arm, my veins were shot by the end of chemo, like done. Anytime someone stuck me, they were like, what do you think you're doing? And they would like collapse. They couldn't get a vein. They couldn't, mm. they couldn't do anything. My oh body my. was like, I was like, oh my God, thank God. But I remember, so like I had to do something called uh, Oncos test for breast cancer. Um, it, they have this thing called your Oncos, it's an Onco score. I, basically what it does, it measures your, it measures how effective chemo will be for you. Okay. Okay. And so- what they were looking for was a score of 18 and lower. I believe, I believe is what it was, but I had my, my oncotype was 22, which means it is the, the possibility of it coming back was an intermediate risk. 30 and above was a high, like high, high risk, whatever. Okay. Okay. And so I think it was like 18 and below was, was, was a low risk. And so this oncotype, this score determined whether or not I needed chemo. And because I was a 22, it needed, I meant I need, I needed chemo. And so Mm. that's, so then that happened. So I got my first round of chemo. Um, My first round wasn't too bad. Like the first, first time, if you can go way back to your first round. Mm. like No, the first round wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Like you're like, ah, that's what are you talking about? This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Little do you know. Little do you know, you're about to feel terrible. <laughs> and it was, I don't know um, about you, but like I couldn't, my mom at this point, like there's, I'll backtrack in a second, but at this point my mom was, you know, around, right? Like my parents were around and they were back from their, you know, trip, their Mediterranean cruise. And, um, my mom would always say, she was so curious. She would always ask me, she'd go, 
what are you, what are you feeling right now? I want to know, what does it feel like? And me being myself, I'm like, oh, that's such a great question. Well, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I would say like, it's just, my body just felt off. Like something, my friend who was, had cancer at the same time as me, she, she would, we would check in with each other every day. How are you feeling? What do you feel? And we would laugh about, like, it was lighthearted, right? Like, we were like, oh, man, these stupid fucking mouth sores. Um, they'd give you mm-hmm. that, um, what is that called? They had a really cool name. Funky Magic name. mouthwash. Magic mouthwash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still have some in my medicine cabinet. Oh, and I threw she- that stuff in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Get this stuff away from me. That was a dream. That thing was a dream. I would put I it know, in my but mouth. Those, those mouth sores were brutal. They were brutal, but my friend had them very bad and yeah. worse than I did. And I said she couldn't like shake. You know, like it was so bad where you can't even do the normal like mm. gargling motion, right? To stretch the your cheeks out. Motion, the swishing yeah. motion. So we would jump up, trying to jump up and down shake our head side to side, turn your body sideways to get it around your mouth inside mm. because you don't want to do the swooshing motion. But if you, but we, I told her, I was like, just use it. It's going to work. And then she, and, and yeah, she was like, yeah, it made it a lot better. And I was like, yeah, it works. But you know, my best friend, she was really great. Cause she was like, you know, just think of it this way for every side effect, there is something to re- you can take for it. Not that I want you to take more meds, but for every side effect you get from chemo, there is a medicine to prevent that side effect. Gosh, I had my first time doing chemo. I had hiccups for days and they finally- That is fascinating. Hiccups. Yeah. It started to hurt. Oh yeah. I mean, it's I mean from the... nonstop for days when I'm sleeping. Yeah. Cause I'm sure acid was coming up after a while. No, I don't know what, but they gave me a medication to make the hiccups stop. And then what happened? The hiccups stopped. And it stopped. It just stopped. Mm-hmm. Did you have it was some any side effects? response to the chemo or something. I've never heard that. Wow. You had uncontrollable hiccups. Yeah. I had really bad acid reflux. Mm. It was to the ba- so bad. Like it felt like there was um, a sharp rock or piece of glass in my throat that I couldn't swallow. Oh, That's how I described it to my oncologist. I feel like there is a shard of glass in my throat that will not go away. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that sounds terrible. Why don't you take some Mylanta? I said, do you know how disgusting that tastes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, you know, one time I... I tried it. I took it because I wanted to know what my patients were talking about. He goes, that's the worst thing I tasted in the world. <laughs> He's like, but it's going to work. And I was like, oh, come on. But it doesn't taste as bad <laughs> as this acid reflux feels. Yes. And so I did it. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> it worked. Oh, thank God. It heavens. fucking worked because I could not. But... I did two rounds of that, and then I ended up having to switch to a different chemo. So to rewind, that? because my body had a delayed allergic reaction to the TC, 
Ah. And so one night I was home and I was like, my hands and feet are itchy, which is one of the side effects that they list as like a typical something that people say. And I was like, oh yeah, they're ha- my hands and feet, the bottom, the palms of your hands and the bottom of your feet. Right. Okay. It was itching. And so I was like looking closely at my hands and I was like, what are all these little dots? And I was like, please don't say that these are hives or like some type of reaction. I was like, please. And I started looking. I'm like, my hands. I started looking at my feet and they were there too. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. This was like a a Thursday maybe. I can remember because the weekend creep crept up is when it was really, really bad. And you know, when you have it, like you can die from an allergic reaction to chemo. And so I called immediately called the doctor on call on oncology when I start when I noticed all the dots and so she called me back and she said a lady you know a woman doctor called back and she said um why don't you take some Benadryl start with that take some Benadryl or whatever I can't remember how I think I just took one or two I can't remember but the next day by like a couple hours later the next day I was like this is no because then I started seeing it all over my body Mm. And it started like it was on my arms. It my I had they were you know the kind of raised hives, like yeah. patches all over my body. And I said I can't yeah. I can't take this. I I need something else. You have to give me something else. And so they called in. Because um, either that or I'm going to the going to the hospital because this I feel like I right. like my throat can close up or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was right. So I they put they gave me some kind of prescription and it helped. It helped a little bit, but it didn't go away. But immediately that Monday morning, Dr. T- my Dr. Tameo called me and he said, tell me what's happening. He was like, come in right away. So I came in right away. Um, he looked at them. He was like, I'm going to send you over to a friend of mine who's an allergist. And I always send my patients there when they have allergic reactions. And the doctor saw me and he was like, yep, that's an allergic reaction. See it all the time. You're not taking that chemo anymore. Mm. I said, I said, wow. Just like that. He was like, he looks at me. He was like, this stuff can kill you. If we were to put you back on this, what would your reaction be? How do we know what's going to happen? Yeah. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I'm not, I was like, well, well, because you were just like, no, no, absolutely not. Here are all these 5,000 different types of steroids you need to take. Now take them. And I was on steroids basically from that point on to the end of my chemo. Well, actually, a couple months after my chemo because you have to wean off of them. But like the that allergic reaction, I think, was induced by the stress that I was under. Like I was so stressed okay. out. And my oncologist told me when I went when I went to go see him and I told him what was happening in my life at that time, he's like, he said, look. The human body is amazing and so interesting. He's like, your body is, you know, on this chemo is going to react. You're going to, he's like, he's like, your mind and body is connected. And if you are under a lot of stress, your body may react to it. Yeah. And he's like, you have to get rid of, and you have to, you cannot allow yourself to be stressed out during this time. Uh-huh. Stress is very powerful and you have to be 
try to remain as calm as you can during this. And I said, okay. And so, you know, so I had to switch. I, they, they put me on what they call the red devil, which is a push. I forgot what they, there's a name with a push chemo where they have to literally push it into your IV. You get one of these big syringes. That's like, it holds so much and it's like long. And they literally push it into your system until the whole vial is emptied. And it takes a while, but it's red, like red devil, like it's Kool-Aid. I don't know. And why is it called the red devil other than because the Because it's terrible. It's not known to be a nice drug. Not that any chemo drug is nice, but right. it's just, just what I've heard. It's been dubbed the Red Devil. It's just what people call it. I don't know where it comes from. And and then they say, we don't want you to get stressed out. And we're changing your treatment to the Red Devil. <laughs> don't oh, worry. Well, don't stress out about the, the Red Devil. But Not um, the Blue Angel. The Red Devil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing stressful about the Red Devil going into your body. It was red and there were three vials every time I got it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nurse uh, once in the when I was getting an infusion, once spilled some of the chemo on the floor, and she called one of her uh, coworkers over real quick to clean it up. I'm like, "What's the issue?" She goes, "Oh, we don't want that on the floor. It'll eat right through the finish and the, like the wax and the floor tile." I said, "And you're injecting that into my body?" Exactly. Like, That's yeah. what I said. I said, "Wait, you know, when the when the I was talking to the woman, she was talking about how the the hazmat suit, basically that white suit. And I'm thinking." And they're going to put that shit into your body? Mm-hmm. Fuck. Like, that's scary. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the mind, you know, okay, so obviously the body, this it can't handle it. It's not eating through our bodies and through our veins yeah. and arteries. But the mind has a real hard time not, you know, experiencing it, like, you know, processing it, like, okay, it's going to eat through the finish on the floor and you're wearing a hazmat seat so it doesn't touch you, but somehow it's fine in Put my Put it in my, in my body. And I'm supposed to yeah. walk out of here? Yeah. You're like, this is... You see some of the interesting... Like, I remember having to go get a test. I can't remember what test it was. And they're like, the doctor preps me for it. He's like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come back with like... I can't remember. It was wearing some kind of special like glove or something. And he had this like lead case because it was like a nuclear, Mm. I don't know, radiation, something. And it was, and he opened up this lead heavy, like 5,000 pounds and opened it up. I felt like I was like in a Marvel movie or something like Thor. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about like Thor and inside was one syringe like laying and it's like, little bed of whatever it was and they were going to inject it into my body was this so for that, a pet scan yeah it was for a scan or something i can't wow. I, don't, I don't know there were all these weird tests i had to do i don't know the names of some of the little ones mm-hmm. but i do know that he came to me with like some lead like thing that just kind of looked very scary and he he was protected yeah when i had my pet scan they injected radioactive sugar into my body and then you couldn't move or listen to music or have bright lights or you just kind of sat in the dark for 45 minutes. Yeah. And that I'm- allows the sugar to, you know, the uh, cancer likes sugar. And so they could then put you in the scanner mm-hmm. and see 
you know, scan the rest of your body for uh, cancer. I don't think people know about that part. You know, the part where like you have to get these radioactive things injected into your body and then they're going to give you a special note because you have to go on the airplane and you can't go through that machine because you have radioactive things in your body. Like Yes, when I drove home, <laughs> I had a card with me that said I just had a PET scan because if I get pulled over and a police officer were to for any reason feel the need to scan my vehicle and were to detect radiation, I can say, yes, there is radiation coming from me because I just had a PET scan. Yeah, exactly. And here's the card saying that I'm not like, you know, I don't have contraband. Yeah, exactly. I'm not transferring radioactive uh, materials in my vehicle. Yeah, I, after my first round of chemo, I ended up having a very big fight with my um, boyfriend at the time. And it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Like, we had already, you know, I think one thing that we don't talk about as in cancer is is the emotional impact it play it has on a relationship, right? And I'm mm-hmm. so thankful that I had Molly there because, you know, she really told me. She said, "You know, Laya, when when you get a diagnosis like this, if you go into the diagnosis with um, an unstable relationship, right? Like we were already having problems. Like a couple yeah. months beforehand, I had flown out to Seattle because I just needed to be by myself. And because he told me that he was not happy and I, I felt like the rug was pulled out from underneath me. And I wasn't like, I didn't know. And, you know, to be fair, like we were together already for 12 years, like we met, I was teaching in Maryland, not to get into it too much. And I met him when I was in New York, but, um, we had had issues before going in and, you know, Molly knew we had issues and she said, you know, a lot of the times if you go into, you know, a diagnosis with, you know, all these issues in your relationship, very rarely, you know, do they survive because your problems are put underneath a microscope mm-hmm. when you get a diagnosis. They just explode. They just are at the forefront now, bigger more than ever. And she was absolutely right. All our problems, the ish, any kind of, you know, typical, I want to say typical relationship problems. I want to say, like communication, blah, blah, blah. Like, like all of those things. Like if you're, if you were having a hard time communicating before, well now, oh my gosh, you just had a cancer diagnosis. Now how are you going to communicate? Yep. You know? And so we had fights, you know, during a lot of the parts of you know, leading up to my chemo and I just, I, I got to a point where I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. I needed to put myself first because I wasn't getting the support that I needed from him. But you know what? But that's not to say that there weren't red flags in the beginning because there were, and I just wasn't listening to them. You know, and and he's not an awful person. He's not. It's just that I know, and I knew at that time, 
he was he was not he was not giving me what I needed and I I I told my I had I just had to make a decision I I could not see myself going through months of this and arguing with someone at the same time yeah no there I needed to put myself first for the first time I want to say the first time but in my life like I have to take control of this situation like my family my parents did not understand why they should have been there at my surgery my boyfriend at the time did not understand how to be there for me too mm-hmm. but neither one of those things you know, make them bad people. They, you know, at the time I, of course I was thinking differently, you know, I was like, I fucking hate you. I don't ever want to see you again. You know, I, I was, I'm not, I wasn't thinking clearly, but the one thing I did know was that I needed to be happy and that I could not continue going through what is, you know, the worst part of my life right now without the people who are supposed to be there for me you know are not there and if i'm going to take control of this this is what i need to do so now you need to get out yeah there's already every resource you have is being utilized to get through the cancer diagnosis and the treatment and when those resources are being drained to navigate a relationship that's not working and turning into you know regular fighting is just you can only devote resources one way or the other when my former wife and I were together during my first diagnosis we did not have the skills to navigate it effectively yeah. and it, 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 uh, it you know our marriage ended after once I was uh, recovered and uh you know, I don't, I imagine our marriage may have ended if I hadn't been diagnosed. I think you know, she and that I are both happen. close. She and I are both close now, but it ended in a way that was, you know, not ideal for either of us. And, you know, I believe that's because, you know, the, as you said, the diagnosis just like, you know, kicked it into overdrive. And suddenly we were dealing with the issues or may I say the issues that we had were now just everywhere. They were everywhere. And, you know, when it came, we, you have money issues. You fight about money. Well, now you're really fighting about money because now you have a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Right? And what are you going to do financially now? And why are we fighting about money? We shouldn't be fighting. This is about my life, right? Like, there yeah. were just so many things. And I just, I got to a point and I said, I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of this. And, you know, I, and I got it from both. I got it from my parents. I got it from him. And I was just like, done. Everything. Everything changed. Yeah, it sounds like you arrived at a point when you were really clear that you Everything needed to stand clear. up. You needed to stand up for yourself and create the life that you needed and 
know, just drop any expectations of others and put aside those who are not available to you. Absolutely. Again, create your team. Create your team. And I, and you know, it was, it was, I feel like, I feel my heart beating so fast, but Mm -hmm. like, it was just something I had to do. And, you know, at the time, it was, you know, and I just literally just was like, get out, you know, because he was going away for for two weeks. I was going away for two weeks. We weren't going to see each other. And it just, I told him when I got, when, you know, it was just ugly. It was not nice. And I guess I feel so emotional about it now because I haven't, I know that this side of me still needs healing. Mm-hmm. Um because I haven't talked about it or I haven't um, reconciled with him um, because he wants nothing to do with me. And I have had to come to terms with that. Mm. Um, And that's okay. But, and that was part of my, and that's part of my growth in all of this is being okay with um, no closure or whatever, being okay with not hearing, you know, sorry. Um, I feel like I've, a lot of my growth is because of these two, because of what happened to me, um, how the people in my life reacted. Um, I think that sparked my growth, that sparked the, what I would call, where's my, Sorry, I have to get my tissue. Um, what hmm. I would call how kind of, as my girlfriend says, like breast cancer did something to you. You getting cancer, something changed inside of you. It like lit a fire inside of you where yeah. you just kind of took control of your life and said, no, I'm like, I think I learned like my self-worth. You know, I learned how to um, ask for what I want. I learned that I deserve to be treated well and that I'm worthy of that. And like dating's been real interesting. That's a whole yeah. nother podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know now because if it wasn't, if it wasn't for this cancer, I don't think I would be where I am today. Like I've had to rebuild my entire life. I left Brooklyn. I was like, I can't be here anymore. Every single part of it reminds me of us. Oh yeah. I had to leave. I said, I always make this joke to my friends. I had said, I need to leave the country. So I went to Queens and so I moved to Queens <laughs> because I can't afford to literally leave the country. So I moved to Queens, which is like leaving the country in New York. Every borough is so different. And as close as Brooklyn is, it's so far because I never go there. Right. Mm. And like I've I've recreated my entire life. I like where I live now, you know, I have friends. I've you know, I'm still at the same job I was at when I was diagnosed, like I've just, I've really kind of transformed into someone who 
advocates for themselves now. Laya, this is an aspect of cancer survivorship. This is the post-treatment survivorship. Now, as you are now navigating like the fallout mm-hmm. from the diagnosis. Yeah, the fallout, yeah. Yeah, people think about surgeries and chemos, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They don't often think about the relationship that fell apart, that came apart, that was dismantled as a result of going through the diagnosis. And that whole process that involves, you know, the the recreation of self, the willingness to look within and really be with the truth of what's so. And for you, it's you, there's an incomplete right now with your former partner. Yeah, there is. But, you know... I say to, you know, maybe, maybe not today. That's okay. Maybe not in five years and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Right? I hope, you know, we can sit down and, and, and be adults and talk about what happened because this is not, you know, what people think. Like people, like this is not all, I was part of the problem too. Like I did things that didn't help. Mm-hmm. It, there was a reason why I ended up in this point. This right is on. not, like I said, nobody in my life, you know, are not, these people are not terrible people, right? But we bring, we, we project our emotions on each other and then we're left there. Uh, we project <laughs> our experiences and, and, and our trauma yeah. on each other. And then we're left there trying to understand we're speaking a different language every time. And it, it's just not, it's so much. And, you know, my hope is to one day that we will talk and be adults and I can talk about how shitty I was to him and he can talk about how shitty he was to me and, and then we can laugh about it and have a beer. Like, let's move on, right? Yeah. Like, I've gone through the pain of, I've gone through the phases of like anger, right? Sadness, anger again, I hate you, all those different things. But if it wasn't, for all of this stuff, this, like you said, peeling the layers off, really looking within, you know, did I grow to, to understand the situation and to understand the thinking of the other person, right? I can really put myself outside of myself and think about what was it like for that person to hear the things that I had to say, right? To be put out. That must have felt like shit. Hmm. They must yeah. have felt horrible. Yeah. You know, like I said, my friends may think otherwise, you know, but no, it's just we're, we we have we come to like everything comes to the forefront and it's just like everything. You're so raw and vulnerable and so just out there and coming here and moving to Queens and having to rebuild my life and trying to figure out like, okay, what do I do now? I'm in Queens now. Now what? I go to work. I come home. You know, I've had nights of like where I just would cry. Um, but I've also had amazing, hmm. I've met amazing, amazing people in my neighborhood. Um, I talk to everybody now, now that like after, you know, I've always talked to people. I've always, I've always talked to people. 
Like I love to talk, I love going to a neighborhood bar and I love to talk to the neighborhood person that sits there. It's been going there for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. I love that because they have stories. I love to learn about other people like that. Right. And so I've met all these amazing people here. I've had drunken nights where I've come home drunk. Like, but I just, I had to really work through, I guess, the dark times, you know, like really looking, you know? Yeah, Laya, it's, again, like, this isn't a relationship that didn't work and then ended because you said, we can't do this anymore. This is a relationship where you were under a treatment in order to stay alive, to not die. And he was living with a woman who he loved, who he was concerned might die. It has us behave so differently. Things are so much more intense. Oh my gosh. And it's just, it, it's, I, I acknowledge people who are able to keep a relationship together through a diagnosis like this. Because like yeah. you said, if you don't have things going well, I mean, things are going to get tough. And man, when things, when there's already issues in the relationship, it just gets, you know, a whole it's lot. It's either going to worse. bring you together or it's going to break you apart. Like that's, yeah, that's how it goes. And so now, like, like my the dating game has definitely changed for me. Sure, me too. Yeah. Oh my Absolutely. god! I'm like, I'm like, what kind of trauma do you have, and are you aware of it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I need to know if you are self aware. Like, talk to me. <laughs> and and you know, and that's I'm not angry. I am not angry about anything that's happened in my life. About that, like, you know, I went. I ended up like to rewind a little bit. You know, I had to change my to adriamycin and I did the last so I had to basically start over again because mm. I did, did two rounds of that and so I had to do four rounds of this but they were like oh but you know it ended up being six rounds but it didn't you know th- they were like look at it like this you're only getting one chemo drug rather than two it's not the wham bam you know with the two drugs this is just one drug so your side effects might be a little different and I think they were definitely different. Adriamycin did not give me mouth swords. It did not give me bone pain. Oh, good. The, the bone pain from the TC was so bad. I felt like the only thing I would tell my friends, the only thing that I felt would make it go away was for someone to just snap my bones in half. Mm. Like, and so you would, would just, it hurt. Oh, my. And you would have this every three weeks? Uh, the first two rounds was every 21 days. Yeah, because then they would, I don't know what, um, I would get this shot of something. It new was on Lasta? Like, yes, a remote device. You got New Lasta too? New Lasta to have the white blood cells come back. Yeah. Cre- so speed up was, the process and that hurt so bad. And that's what caused the pain because that was, they were trying to speed up the process of of regenerating your white blood your blood, white blood your cells, cells. White, white blood, blood cells. cells yeah. So it was pushing a lot out of the big major bones, like your hips. Terrible. So the pain in your hips and the pain in your femur and the pain was just your back. And But that thing would go, I don't know if you had the remote one that would go off after 26 hours. That's what it was for me. Mine, I would, yeah. so I wouldn't have to come back to the hospital. I had a remote Nulesa that after 26, 27 hours, you would hear it start to go tick. 
Tick, 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 beep. And then it would, that was it injecting the drug. But it's like, it's like this, I couldn't go around because, you know, here you got this thing on your shoulder, on this, on your arm, like with the red dot, um, like blinking. And can you imagine if I was on the subway and that thing started going tick, tick, (laughs) tick, tick, beep. Like not a good situation, but that's what causes the side effects because you're trying to heal. But yeah, but Adriamycin gave me nausea like no other. I can't even tell you, but I will have to say I used marijuana to help with my nausea side effects Mm -hmm. and for um, some of the other side effects that I had. And I cannot tell you an advocate. That's when I become more of an advocate for very pro marijuana is because the, the, what it does for people medically, like it was like the second I took a hit, my nausea was gone. Whereas if I took some of the drug that they gave me and I, I have to wait like 20 minutes or something like that before it kicked in. So yeah, I used that mm. for my, for my side effects. That's wonderful. It didn't, it, it reduced the nausea for me, maybe 75%, but I was already on anti-nausea drugs. For me, mm-hmm. it just took the poisoned feeling away. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. It made that feeling that I cannot describe go away. It made me feel normal. Like when my mom would say, what does it feel like? I would say, I don't know. It feels like, you know, there's something in my body. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't put a word to it. I couldn't put a word to it, but my friend Going back to my friend, she's described it to her nurse as, you know, those one of those Easter bunnies you get, those chocolate Easter bunnies you get for Easter, you know, the hollow ones. And she said, yeah, she says, that's what I feel like when I'm chemo. uh, chemo. I feel like a hollow Easter bunny, like there's nothing inside of me. And I said, wow. And then her nurse said, well, that's a new one. I've never heard that before. Oh, goodness. But I'm like, huh, I can kind of understand that kind of hollow like there was this weird feeling inside my body that just wasn't right and that's how she described it it's so interesting how we all experience it so differently i felt Mm -hmm. like there was the poison feeling it was like there was something inside of me grabbing onto me and like pulling inward and just twisting there was this ache and this hurt and this lack of energy and Oh, yeah, no. Like, if you ever drank so much alcohol, like when you're younger, you know, drank way too much alcohol and you wake up the next day and you're just like, it's not even a hangover. It's like you have alcohol poisoning. Like, you are hurting. (laughs) You are hurting. And uh, that's how I felt. Like, I was like painfully hungover, like every day from the chemo. I don't. And alcohol would, excuse me, and marijuana would make that go away. Go away. Same wonderful, for me. Wonderful. Same for me. That's exactly what I told. I would vape and it would work wonderfully. Told my oncologist. I said, whatever the chemo makes me feel like when I smoke pot, that feeling goes away. Mm. And so, yeah. Oh but yeah, goodness. I had four rounds of that. And for the most part, my body handled it really well. Um, afterwards, as long I was, as long as I was ahead of my nausea as my, that's my friend told me, like, you know, you have to get stay ahead of that because once the nausea starts, 
then you're in a cycle of trying to take the medicine and it's not working and you yeah. keep, keep throwing it up. So you want to stay ahead of that cycle. So that's what I did. And I had, yeah, the first, you know, it was a pattern. You saw the pattern, right? It's like the first four oh, or yeah. five days mm-hmm. is like, yeah. And then you start to feel better. And you said you get to that point where that feeling better part doesn't go away and it's time for your next round. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I was by the time I got to my end. Like I was at five, four and a half, five, whatever I think, whatever I say last, like it was just, it was right there. And I had one more round. I was finally done. I was like, I can't. She, my best friend was like, look, just be happy that this is your last <laughs> round. Like, I'm so fucking happy. I know people doing like 20 rounds. No, no, thank you. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, I remember my second round of treatment, uh, my second diagnosis, uh, I started to notice I would be depressed on mm-hmm. Monday. And I had treatment every would two you, weeks. Was chem- yeah, I was going to say I, chemo day for you was I, what, I get Fridays? chemo Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday through Friday. Going out uh-huh. Wednesday... Get all the pre-meds, get the first chemo, and then get sent home with 5-FU and this pump. They would just pump it until Friday, and they'd come in and have it uh, removed on Friday. You'd go home with like a little fanny pack. And then on Monday, I would get depressed. And I noticed on Mondays, I'd be depressed, and I started noticing a pattern. I thought it was me. I eventually realized, oh, I'm not depressed. The chemo is making me depressed. And then the depression would go from Monday to Tuesday as I got further and further along in my infusions and I would just anticipate this depression and just you know find my way through it because I knew that I'm not depressed that this chemo is actually affecting my mental state mm-hmm. and it was really mm-hmm. valuable to be able to see that pattern because in the beginning I was like oh gosh I'm getting depressed yeah and so many effect you know affect me this way affect you that way yeah I like I said, I had the schedule. I had, you know, I tried to avoid being by myself because at this point I was by myself because my I had kicked my boyfriend out of the house. I was like, no, you know, either that or I was going, going to go find to live somewhere, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that at that time. But that if it had gotten to that point, I would have done that because I couldn't handle that anymore. And so I needed to take care of myself. So... It just reminded me. I moved. No, I'm totally interrupting you, but in my second diagnosis, I was getting chemo and I moved twice. Oh, I can't even imagine. (laughs) I can't even imagine doing that in the middle of chemo. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Was it twice? Yeah, I moved twice. I moved from one friend's house to another friend's house. My wife and I had split up, so I moved out of the house with her and the kids and I was renting a room from a buddy of mine. And then uh, somewhat into the chemotherapy, I moved to a different friend's house and then I finally found an apartment and moved mm-hmm. again from his place and did the last of my chemo in the apartment. It's a hell of a time to move. Yeah, I went from, oh. so, yeah, I moved, so we were in a two-bedroom and I was paying that two-bedroom rent in like South Slope by myself. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, have cancer and I'm like, thank God, like, so, you know, my parents came through for me. When they got back from their trip, (laughs) I think my, I think they, maybe they did some reflecting, I guess. My mom was amazing and she was, she was like here for me and she was just like, you know, let me know if you don't have anyone to take you to your chemo, we'll take you. And I honestly couldn't have done it. I don't know how I would have made it financially without them because they weren't paying my rent, but like 
they were coming and they were bringing food. Like they were bringing groceries, they were bringing alcohol. Cause you know, there were some times towards the end of my psych, uh, my chemo cycle in the beginning, like if I were to have a beer, it would be okay. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, but when I switched drugs, I couldn't because Adrian Myosin gave me the worst uh, acid reflux. So that beer was not a good thing. I that. am so happy to hear <laughs> that your folks came through and they got yeah. to be there for you. And yeah, so it was good. Treat. So we just kind of hung around my house. My mom would cook and I would sleep like the first, you know, four days or whatever. And just kind of go. I made it a point to go for a walk every single day oh, if it was sunny. Because at the end of the walk was this little cute ice cream shop in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did an ice cream and I would treat myself to an ice cream because I learned that like, you know, you're not like. There, it is okay to have ice cream if you want to have ice cream. And so the doctor was like, have ice cream. You know, like a chemo craving is like a real thing. Like I have had, you know, there's times when I had chemo, I did not want to eat. I was not hungry. I couldn't taste anything. So then when the doctors are like, if you're hungry, you eat. You are craving. You want two sandwiches. Yeah. You eat two sandwiches. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, like, I would go for a walk every day and, you know, and that really really helped out that they were there because then some the times that they weren't there my girlfriends took me you know like mm-hmm. someone I was always made a point to schedule like around ahead who's gonna take me and sit so I don't end up the yeah. day before like I'm gonna go by myself because I I knew that I could not emotionally handle that I could not do it by myself to go to chemo by myself or to go to a doctor's appointment at that time by myself I couldn't it made me feel sad. Yeah. And I know I knew that I needed someone to go with me. So I recognize I recognized what was going to get me through this. And I made it I made sure to make it happen. Yeah. Wonderful. I love it. You know? Yeah. And then you're left yeah. all alone afterwards. <laughs> we really, no matter how much support we get, we are doing this on our own. Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's taken me a while to really, I think, come to this point where I am today in my apartment in Queens and, like, be, like, just doing my thing. Like, working, living, trying to live my best life, you know, doing just owning it and being okay with the fact that I might have days where I will cry about what just happened to me. Right. Like, and I say yeah. just, cause it's, you know, people might say, Oh, that was three years ago, but it doesn't, Mm-mm. it doesn't, I'm still living it. I'm still, cancer will never go away in my, in my life because I'm still mm-hmm. going to the doctors. I'm still take, I have to take, because my, my um, cancer is hormone positive. I have, there's a medication I have to take daily for 10 years. And what's that medication called? It's called tamoxifen. Tamoxifen. And what, I'm curious, do you know the statistics as far as what the chance of recurrence is if you take it versus the chance of recurrence if you don't? Yeah, so... I had... Because um, I know that it's... I wouldn't say... Well, it's kind of optional, right? It is kind of optional. 
there are many people who do not react well to it. I so far can say maybe I've had a much more positive experience with it, but it is kind of negative. Like I've, there have been times where I've thought about getting off of it. And when I had that talk with my doctor, doctor, he was just like, absolutely not. No. Oh. You can't do that. He felt for you it was not optional. Yeah. He was like, no. Okay. You don't want to do that. And I was like, okay. Like it scared me because like he's usually like jolly and like happy and jokes with me. And he got so serious and like okay. half a second. And I was like, oh, okay, I will take it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the side effects, you know, you get these menopausal side effects is what happens because it's a hormone drug, you know, my, my cancer is hormone positive. So I get hot flashes. I, you know, I experience like, like I have arthritis. I was scared. I honestly was scared that it, my cancer had come back because I was having like really bad back pain in like uh-huh. two, two specific spots. And I know because I get obsessed with reading things about breast cancer that breast cancer comes, can come back in your bones, your bones, your liver, your brain, your lungs. Okay. And so I was like convinced because, you know, it there and that's my trauma, right? That's a trauma you go through. That's my trauma speaking like, oh, my God, my pinky hurts. I think my pinky's, you know, I think my cancer's back. Like you're so scared that every health issue is your cancer coming back. And so I was like, I was complaining to my doctor, like my cancer, I, I'm scared. I feel like it's back. And he was like, you know, if you, when you come back in, in three months, we'll, we'll, if it's not gone by then, we will do a scan, right? Because the one thing they won't do for me right away is a scan. Um, so hmm. because it didn't go to my lymph nodes, so that means it didn't go around my body. But okay. that doesn't mean... And like, I, there's always a possibility. Cancer is cancer. No, there always is. There always is. And so, because I've heard many stories, and so we they did a pet, they, not a pet scan, they did some kind of other scan, bone scan. And they found out, oh, guess what? You have arthritis in the same exact spots that you have been complaining about. Mm. Yeah, so found out now I have arthritis. You know, and it's not, yeah, I, I think at this point in my life, there are probably many 40-year-olds who have arthritis. And I think this just pushed it along. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. like my bones are achy. Like I'm just feeling physically older and not just because I'm yeah. now 43. I think it's just kind of making it happen faster as someone I on. I think that I am older than my body is. I think my body is older than my lifespan on this planet i'm turning 50 in tomorrow oh happy early birthday (laughs) thank you and i think my body is older than 50 yeah but birthdays you know i think my body's in its late 50s yeah that's from all the treatment i've been through and it's and and i'm not upset about it it's just like what's so i'm here and you know this these are the treatments we have available to us and this is what i did in order to be alive and I'm thrilled that I'm alive and I'm doing this podcast and we're bringing this conversation to the world so people can know all the, you know, all the nitty gritty, the warts and all, you know, yeah. of what it's like. And 
so appreciated this conversation with you. We've been on for like, I think over three hours now and we have more to talk about I and I've like got to shift gears. <laughs> no, we do. We, I just simply have to go. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise I'd make coffee and we keep talking. Maybe you'll come back again. Oh my gosh. I would love to. I, I just feel like I have, I have so much to say. I didn't want to say it. And great because it's just so important and cancer has taught me many things yeah. And again, I've learned that I need to advocate for myself and that my story can help somebody else who might feel so alone in all of this and think that it's just, it's too much, you know? Yeah. But it'll be okay. We find our way through. Yeah. We will be okay. Bye. Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching, please go to BertScholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of Saint Kid. You can find him on social media as The Saint Kid. See you all on the next episode, and thank you so much for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis. The hosts and guests are not medical professionals, and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy. Whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health, please consult a qualified medical professional.